Good morning. Good morning. Nice. I appreciate that. It is really good to be with you. Josh and Beckett's also really good. I haven't had the chance personally to meet you, but very excited to have you here this morning and for everybody else as well. Prayer. So there has, there's never been a season in my life that I have engaged more in prayer uh, than three years that I spent overseas. And when you're walking into unknown situations, into challenging experiences, in seasons where you need comfort, those are the moments in my life where I engage in prayer a lot more. And so if you don't know me well, from 2016 to 2019, I spent three years overseas in South Sudan for the majority of the time. I worked as a nurse with Eastern Mennonite Missions, and I was at a school. It was called the Loretto School in Rumbeck, South Sudan. And I had the good fortune of helping to run a school clinic um, while I was there. And in South Sudan, as in many places in the world, the, the raw needs that are in front of your eyes are so real, and they're so tangible, and there's so many of them. And it felt like every day there was another sick kid or possibly a hundred sick kids that needed physical and medical attention and precious faces. And your heart goes out to them and there's always something else you feel like you should be doing. And then in the evenings, I also was able to spend time with, with a lot of young women who are overcoming immense odds, who are studying and working hard to better their lives and the lives of their families. And so I got to take walks with them and engage in very basic counseling with them. And there were youth who wanted to, to play sports. And so the evenings, in 100-degree weather, you're out there and you're playing sports. And this, it was a community that there were endless possibilities of the ways that I could engage. And it was one of the most incredible parts because I like a lot of different aspects of life. And it was one of the most challenging because it felt like there was always another need, another area to invest my time and energy. And I just didn't always have that. Living in that community was a distinct privilege. But at the end of the day, sometimes I was so utterly tired. I was so utterly worn out and stretched. And, you know, you have cultural differences and language barriers. And at the end of the day, you just feel spent. And believe it or not, the more stretched I was, I would be there from three to four months at a time, and then I would get to take a break. And as I was getting to the end of that three or four months, you could definitely tell in my attitude, unfortunately. And so the more, at the end of the day, the more frustrated I would get, the more frustrated I became at myself for being so frustrated. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. And then I'd get angry and it was just a really bad cycle. And you see, I had always believed growing up in the Christian faith that God would not give me more than I could handle. That was really something tangible that I, that I used to hold on to. And I always believed that he would not allow my cup, a physical representation of myself, to run dry. And I can tell you that I really do not believe those things anymore. You see, in these moments in which I, I truly was struggling, there was this underlying urgency that I was not doing enough. You know, I was not serving enough. I was not giving enough. I was not spending enough time with people. That there was more that I should be doing. There was more work. There was more to give. And this past week, uh, it's taken me two years to revisit some of my journals from the time that I was there. But this week, I worked up the courage and I did it. And this, this underlying theme of not being enough really is a theme across all three years and perhaps across my entire life. And it's a deep, profound question, am I enough? And there was one moment 
I had a kind of a small room while I was there, and so in the evenings, if I wasn't hanging out with some friends, I would spend some time in my room in this one evening, and if I could paint it, the picture for you, it's the sense of desperation that I'm calling out to God, but I'm also pretty angry, right? Because I'm just, I am so fed up, and I'm so tired, and I don't know what else to do, and I called out to God, and I was like, what do you want from me? You know, I feel like I've given in every capacity, and I don't understand. If you could just tell me, please do. And the whispered response that I felt so clearly was simply, I want you. You are enough. And you know, I've often had a really hard time believing him. Oswald Chambers writes in My Utmost for His Highest, it is not a question of our equipment, but of our poverty. Not of what we bring with us, but of what God puts into us. And I had to learn from hard experiences that I had to be willing to allow God to fill my cup. And for me, one of the ways that that would occur was through prayer. Listening in prayer is something to be practiced because the truth is, God wants to hear my concerns, and he wants to hear your concerns. He wants to hear your emotions and your thoughts and your opinions. But at the same time, as a loving father, as your creator, how much more does he want the opportunity to respond to you? I'm not a parent, but I know there are a lot of parents out there, and if your child is desperately reaching out, desperately seeking your help, how much, as a parent, does that tug on your heart to want to respond, to want to offer some truth to them? How often do I, how often do you afford him the opportunity to speak and say something back to you? And I think, you know, sometimes for some people, maybe more than others, God does respond in audible words. Sometimes it's through nature. Sometimes it's through a friend, somebody around you, through scripture, through song. He speaks in many different ways. But I cannot hear his truth if I am not listening. Prayer is an interesting concept. And I will be honest, in my own prayer life, there's been more ebbs than flows. There's definitely been more stops than starts. Um, But praise God, I think, you know, it's interesting to be up here on a time like this because my prayer life is one that is ever-changing. And this morning, we're going to walk through Mark Thibodeau's four stages of prayer as he describes them in the Armchair Mystic and explore what stage we're each currently in and tie in the scripture that we heard as well. And in hopes that there is a little bit of something for each one of us, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to have a short prayer here. Father God, we are, we are here. We are physically present, Father. And I ask, I ask that we would be here full body, emotions and spirit. God, that you would grant us the courage to be able to sit still and to hear from you. God, we know that you love us and we know that we have moments that we need to create to be able to listen for your voice. God, be here with us. Teach us. Grant us the capability to listen with whole hearts. Encourage to hear what you have to say. In your name we pray, amen. To listen, to pay attention, to take heed. To note, to observe, to watch to follow. Our first passage in scripture offers us Jesus' direct instructions on prayer, what it should and should not be. And I absolutely, and maybe it's my sense of humor, but I love that it's termed babbling like pagans. 
it just kind of makes me smile because it sounds like a lot like my prayer life in my first 30 years. You know, I have a lot of specific things and I ramble often. Maybe it's because I come from a family of talkers, but like when I start and I have God's ear, it is unleashed. And, you know, I think in Mark Thibodeau's, in his first and second stages of prayer, there is some of this, right? Some of us just talking at God. And so that is the first stage, us talking at God. And so this encompasses a lot. This is some of the childlike prayers that are filled with a list of thank yous, very straightforward requests of God, going to bed prayers, memorized phrases. And definitely hear me, there is nothing more beautiful than a childlike prayer. There's nothing more beautiful than a child's prayer. And so I'm not taking away from any of that. I recently had a niece of mine sleep over and she said her bedtime prayer. And I was like, that goes straight to the ears of God. I have no, no questions asked about that. But as we grow, and whether you are a, you know, a Christian starting your, your walk of faith and you're 12 or you know, 14 or 18 or 42 or 86, wherever you are starting, the important thing that as we mature in our faith, that our prayer life matures as well. The second stage is talking to God. And so this is when we find our own words. So we're not just repeating maybe something that we've heard, but we are monologuing with God. We are interceding from our own heart's desires and needs. And so maybe this is a stage that some of you are more familiar with. You're like, hey, you know, I use my own words when I talk to God. And again, there are times and seasons for all of these prayers for sure. But these first two stages, they primarily target things about me. I am always the center point. I'm the one directing the conversation. And following this style, Jesus offers us a clear example of how we should pray. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. When I lived in South Sudan, I attended a Catholic Mass every week. And every week we said this prayer. And there was something very almost therapeutic about repeating the same scripture every week. And actually this last, this past week, I was um, walking around my apartment in Lancaster City. And within a couple blocks, I had passed an Episcopal, a Lutheran, a Unitarian, and a Presbyterian church. And it was really neat to think that probably in some capacity, the Lord's Prayer is said in each one of the, the walls of those churches. In one form or another. And that is likely the case in the multitude of countries around the world, knowing that in 2020, there was 2.38 billion Christians. And so we have many different interpretations of the Bible. Maybe that scripture is used in a variety of different ways, but likely it is used in what a unifying prayer it can be. As Pope John Paul II once said, if Christians, despite their division can ever grow in more united, common prayer in Christ. They will grow in the awareness of how little divides them and how much they have in comparison, how much unites them. Then he continues to say, if you really wish to follow Christ, if you want your love for him to grow and last, then you must be faithful to prayer. It It is the key to the vitality of your life. Surely we could pour more energy into what unites us. So the Lord's Prayer is an example of things that we are saying to God, and it's requests that we are making to God, which can serve as an anchoring point. Sometimes, again, when I'm talking so much at God, I need to remember who God is, right? God is God, and I am not him. And the Lord's Prayer can be an, an anchoring point. His kingdom come, his will be done, but we shouldn't stop there. 
So the third stage, it involves listening to God. And this is understanding that prayer is a dialogue that requires listening to God's thoughts and not just my own. How do you listen to God? How has your dialogues been going with your creator? So at a similar time as my first story, um, there was a woman from the community that had come into our school clinic in South Sudan. Uh, I was being seen by a nursing colleague of mine. And so my office wasn't an office. It was a, a simple desk. And so we would have a couple different consultations, consultation tables. Uh, and this woman had come in and Sister Panina was taking care of her. And she had many complaints. She had many needs, um, physical as well as just very tangible things that she could have used. Um, and it came up that she could really benefit from some shoes. And so Sister Panina had made the comment to me because I had helped in the community at times to try and get some of those goods and the woman actually looked down. She was kind of seated diagonal for me, and she pointed at my shoes, and in Dinka, she said that she wanted them. And while I will tell you that the large portion of my time in South Sudan was incredible, and I was excited and joyful, so please don't take all of my examples of how, you know, I wasn't feeling very good. During the time there, there was a lot of good moments, but this was, again, towards an end stretch, and I was just spent, and that comment felt like a physical jab in my side. Definitely not what the lady meant. I had never met her before. But have you ever been in that state in your own mind where somebody says something and you're like, okay, clearly this is, this is hitting me a little bit harder than it should. But it just felt like a jab. This woman had feet that were well calloused and bore witness to the fact that she had been working and walking in harsh conditions, likely her whole life without a pair of shoes on her feet. But I paid attention to my own patient, you know very important work. And so I kind of ignored her comment. I utterly didn't even engage with it, but I knew she would be coming back the next day because her care was going to be ongoing. And so later that night I was, I was in my room wrestling with God as I did pretty often. I could not get this lady out of my head. And I was so annoyed because it was the end of the day and I was tired and I was like, oh, finally I can relax. And I just, I couldn't get her out of my mind. And I was telling God that I, I had given enough. I was making my case. And let me tell you, I felt like I had a good argument. You know, I'd given what I have. Look at my room. There's such few possessions. I don't, I don't know what else you want me to give. My cup is officially empty. So please stop asking. And there was a very gentle prompting. And at my door, there were three pairs of shoes. There was a pair of sandals, the ones that she pointed at, a pair of flip-flops, and a pair of sneakers. And in a desperate moment... I spiritually lashed out and I said, those are mine. And in a very calm sense, I could feel the whisper, they are not yours. It was one of the clearest dialogues I've ever had with God. In that moment, I lashed out, I confessed, and he spoke back in a very reassuring way. They are not yours. And so I put them in my bag, and the next morning I put them on the lady's feet. And I can tell you they fit hers better than they fit mine. And we made eye contact, and I never saw her again. So I share this story with you not to highlight the fact that I finally gave the sandals. I don't know if you can tell there was a lot of resistance to that giving of the sandals. But for an example of how allowing God to be involved in our day-to-day activities, our day-to-day decisions and movements is an important thing. 
And also to highlight that when we are listening, when we are engaging in listening to God, we must be prepared to respond in obedience. And also to be grateful that he works with such resistant individuals as myself. Because in this story, this was not me giving out of my lack of. I had three pairs of shoes. This is simply me giving out of my excess. Hesitantly, resistantly giving out of my excess. And I mistook in that moment my possessions to be mine. And surely they are far more of a gift from our Heavenly Father than anything that I have worked for. And I also, more than anything else in the story, I want to paint for you that, that my thoughts and my decisions would have left this woman, this beloved woman, without any shoes. I would have robbed her of that opportunity, nothing else. So our prayers cannot simply be our requests of our needs. They have to be for those around us. For our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and friends and for our adversaries. Loving God and loving others is not just a model for the way that we live and our actions, but for how we pray as well. Pray for people by name. If you know people in need in one capacity or another, pray for them by name. And pray that we as followers of Jesus would be bold enough Not just to dialogue with God, but to listen to God and to respond in obedience. Stage four involves being with God. It's the basis of contemplative prayer, which rests in God's presence without concern for what prayer activity is going on. This is the just being with God. Now, this this is a challenge for me. I come from a Swiss-German Mennonite background, like some of you, where hard work and productivity and efficiency and, you know, time spent getting results is important. And so the thought of contemplative prayer, of sitting and basking in God's presence, seems a little bit, you know, of a foreign concept. But in in this, we're giving up a sense of control for what this prayer time is. It encourages a quiet spirit making space to hear from God. And yet also knowing that we're not the ones in control. And so maybe God will speak. Maybe he won't. Maybe he will and we won't hear. But that's why it's all important to practice. And we're going to have a little opportunity to practice later so you can start getting nervous now. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who recently died in December 2021, he was an anti-apartheid and human rights activist in South Africa, offers a great physical depiction of contemplative prayer in his book, God Has a Dream. And if you're somebody that enjoys imagery, I will invite you to close your eyes to really understand what he's saying. This is what he writes. He said, one image that I have of the spiritual life is of sitting in front of a fire on a cold day. Don't have to picture too much. It was pretty cold out there today. But picture sitting in front of that fire on a cold day. We don't have to do anything. We just have to sit and be in front of the fire. And then gradually, the qualities of the fire are transferred to us. And we begin to feel the warmth. We become the attributes of the fire. And it's like that with us and God, as we take time to be still and sit in God's presence, the qualities of God are transferred to us. Welcome to open your eyes again. And in our deepest relationships, this kind of happens, right? Maybe it's your spouse or a child, a good friend or a family member, but you don't have to be talking to enjoy their presence. In fact, sometimes talking might ruin the moment a little bit, no? Maybe you're on a porch swing 
taking in a beautiful landscape or hearing the birds, and you're just sitting and being together. In these moments with God, we can slowly emulate the characteristics of God, of his love and his peace and his joy and patience and kindness. This is much needed work. Our world is yearning for followers of Jesus to be emulating the warmth of his love, to be candles in the dark, to be engaging in the suffering and offering healing. We are not meant to just sit in this peaceful state. You know, as you're picturing that, it's like, oh, I could sit there forever. Sit me in front of the fire. There's nowhere else I need to go. But the truth is we're not meant to just stay there. We are, we are meant to sit and to be, to listen and to receive, and then to engage with the world. To be his partners in the midst of challenges and strife and division. And this is what we are called to. But we cannot forget first to engage with God, to receive the warmth of his fire, and let that be what sends us out. Archbishop Tutu highlights that this sequence is similar to what he saw in Jesus' life. His disengagement, waiting on God, always preceded his engagement. He waited to be anointed with God's spirit, which made him preach the good news to the poor, Setting free of captives, he went into retreat in the wilderness into the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Jesus needed time with God, to be with God, to listen to God. And if Jesus needed it, I assure you that I needed a lot more than he would have. I wonder if you would as well. So every now and again when I'm engaging in prayer, and again, do know that most of my prayer is likely stage one, if maybe stage two. I give a lot of instructions. I get a lot of clarity of what I think should happen in this moment, at this time. This is my plan. This is what I'm thinking. And every now and then, and I would encourage you, be, be humorous with yourself. Every now and then I catch myself and I kind of chuckle a little bit. Because surely I am talking and making demands of the one who created it all, who sees the past and the future, who orchestrates it. And so how interesting that I'm here making all of my very specific plans known. Who am I I to direct the one who created us all? And I must, I must implement ways to reorient myself in these moments, knowing that they're okay, but I have to come away remembering who is in control, who the sovereign Lord is. And many people do this in different ways. And I can tell you last week I was also spent some time with my grandma Susie, who's 92 years young, And she doesn't go many places anymore, but she uh, does a lot of praying. And she reminds her grandkids and family members of that every time. And there is a lot of us. So actually, it's probably good that she has the full 24 hours to encompass praying for each one of us. But I asked her, I was like, you know, Grandma, what does that look like, you know, when you are praying? And she's like, well, I pray for each family member by name. I was like, wow, thank you. Lord knows we need it. But she also said at the end that she finishes each prayer with, but your will be done. And what a beautiful representation for a granddaughter to hear that my grandma is is praying for me and at the end of it, she lays me into the hands of Jesus and she says, you know what, your will be done. It's a good reminder. Henry Nguyen in his book, In the Name of Jesus, writes guidance in stating, Christian leaders, and I would paraphrase to say all Christians, cannot simply be persons who who have well-informed opinions about the burning issues of our time. 
Their leadership must be rooted in the permanent, intimate relationship with the incarnate word, Jesus. And they need to find there their source for their words, advice, and guidance. We can't be devoid of the relationship with God. It changes everything. And true wisdom comes from both. In our scripture reading in John, he says, verse 3 to 5 in chapter 10, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Later on in that chapter, it refers to to Jesus as the good shepherd. Do you know the good shepherd's voice? And I actually looked up sheep a little bit because I was like, I don't know much about sheep. And it just emphasized the fact that sheep will truly only follow someone that they trust. I was like, wow. A voice they recognize. And trust is also an important part of our prayer life as well. And if you didn't get to listen to Pastor Carl's sermon last week on trust in particular and how it relates to prayer, I really do encourage you to do so. But in a world of nonstop clutter and noise, can I recognize God's voice? And am I taking time to hear from him? Brother Lawrence, in his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, writes, Hold yourself in prayer before God like a beggar at a rich man's gate. A beggar at a rich man's gate. So in a moment, we're going to practice some Lexio Divina, which is Latin for divine reading. And it's a traditional monastic practice of scripture reading, meditation, and prayer, which serves to support closeness with God and improve our knowledge of God's word. And so I'm going to encourage each one of you to participate. It's very low stress. You don't have to say anything out loud. You can stay where you are. Um, But we are going to do it together. But I do also want to recognize for those of you who are here today who feel like you're at a point where you feel like you can't pray. Maybe you have come to a point where you're just fed up with prayer. feel like you've called out and God hasn't heard you. I can tell you that I resonate with that. I've had seasons in myself where I feel like I couldn't pray. I had no words. And in those moments, I would simply kneel on the, beside my bed and be in a posture of prayer. Because I was emotionally exhausted. I had nothing else to say. And in fact, I wasn't even sure I wanted to listen. But I knew that engaging in that posture of prayer was me telling God, you know what, I'm still here. And I don't have words right now, but I'm still ready to follow what you have for me. God was with me even when I didn't feel him. And I would also caution us to not be too emotionally driven with hearing from God. Our emotions, they come and go. And so sometimes in moments of devastation and sadness, it can be hard to hear from him. Give yourself some time. Know that he is there. It might just take a little while for you to to feel him. So the format for this, while it can be done in many ways, is that I'm going to read, again, our scripture from the the book of John. And I'm going to ask you to listen for a word or a phrase that sticks out to you. And that word or phrase is then going to lead you in your prayer. It's going to be the basis for your prayer. Just a minute. We're not going to sit here forever. Don't worry. 
And if you have no idea what I just said, come back with me. This is the brief recap. I'm going to read from the the book of John. You're going to sit and listen for a word or a phrase that sticks out to you. We're going to have some light music, and there's going to be a minute of time where that is what's going to lead your prayer. Maybe it can be a meditative repeating of the same word. Maybe you open with that word and you ask God to speak to you. There is no right or wrong way to do this. But I am going to sit with you. So if you do feel comfortable, you're more than welcome to close your eyes. To open your palms if that is something that's helpful for you. And if you're not one to close your eyes, there's a very beautiful cross that was made by two people I love dearly. And so you are more than welcome to focus on that as well. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus goes on to say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. And for many of us, that may have felt a little bit odd different practice, but in the presence of God. I would also add that when we pray, we need to remember that what we perceive from God, we need to combine that with what we understand of God. I know for myself, sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference between hearing from God and my own thoughts. And so to always remember, you know, what I feel like I'm hearing from God, does that match up with the characteristics of Jesus? Does that fall in line with what he said and what he did of the themes of the Bible of loving God and loving others. One of my Kenyan friends who I worked with in South Sudan, I recently spoke to her on the phone. We were catching up on life and I shared that there was this current situation that was in front of me, not necessarily a challenge, but I asked her for a little wisdom. She's one of the wisest people I know. In fact, I almost can tell you that she like speaks in Proverbs. It's amazing. But I was telling her about this, and she asked, she's like, well, have you prayed about it? And I said, well, not really. And she reminded me that our thoughts are far too selfish and conceited to trust. So she said, better that you pray and let God decide. Solid point, Ruth. I also spoke with another mentor and friend of mine, Becky Hess, who I met through Eastern Mennonite Missions, and I asked her if she could go back and tell her younger self something regarding listening to God, what would it be? And she said, I would tell myself to trust. To trust that God actually does speak to me. And so that's what I'm going to say to each one of you today. Trust that he speaks to you. And as we move into a time of communion, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time and to pray with me. we are here 
in your presence, God, in the presence of brothers and sisters, and we ask that you would speak. And God, we ask that we would have courage and the capability to really grasp what you are saying, and not just what you're saying to us, God, but what you're asking of us. We pray that we can bask in the understanding of knowing that we genuinely are enough for you. That that warmth of the fire is something that we have the privilege of receiving each and every day, God, but that we are also meant to be sent out. Open our eyes to those around us that we can be loving on, that we can be reaching out to. Grant us your wisdom, Father. We thank you for the ways that you guide and direct and the ways that you listen. May we also listen to what you have to say. Amen.